Hello, my name is Emma Griffiths of Fife Historic Buildings Trust. Welcome to the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration Podcast. I'm joined in episode two of the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration Podcast by archaeologist Dr Gavin McGregor of Northlight Heritage and historian Dr Tom Turpey of the University of Stirling and our project historian. Our subject today is plague, which as we're recording during the 2020 novel coronavirus pandemic, feels a little chilling as an echo of the current worrying situation. I'm hoping today that Gavin and Tom can tell us a little about how previous disease outbreaks were overcome and what sort of infection control measures amounted to back through the ages. Perhaps there are lessons for us to be learned. Gavin, if we can begin very generally, can you give us some background on what we know more widely about disease and illness in Scotland's past? Thanks, Emma. Uh, While I'm not a medical doctor, it's worth noting there are different causes of diseases, including infections, deficiencies and hereditary diseases. Much of the earliest insights on disease and illness come from skeletal remains, but you can only see evidence when they have been severe enough to modify the actual bones. So when present, also indicating pain and discomfort for individuals during life. For example, elsewhere in Fife, at London Lynx, analysis of burials from a Pictish cemetery shows evidence of disease and illness. One woman, who died about the age of 35 in the 5th or 6th centuries AD, showed evidence of childhood anemia and osteoarthritis in adulthood. Gavin, people may have heard of plague, black death, or the pest, were these actually the same disease? Different forms of infectious diseases are variously transmitted by virus, bacteria or parasites. One key issue is the rapid transmission to many people has other social and economic impacts. Now the plague refers to the disease caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis, which has three main forms, pneumonic, septicemic and bubonic. The Black Death has been used to refer to a major bubonic plague epidemic across Europe in the 14th century, which killed millions of people. The pest refers to pestilence and is a term which was used for the 14th century bubonic plague, but was also used to describe what was almost certainly other infectious diseases. Do we know much about the possible earliest plague outbreaks in Scotland? Well, we know that you've seen the Pestis bacterium is found in rodent populations, with one vector for plague being fleas, uh, carried on black rats, but also people at times. While there is historical reference to pestilence in the Lothians during the 7th century AD, it's possible earlier communities in what is now Scotland may have experienced plague before, with, for example, the movement of people with the Roman presence. Indeed, there are some suggestions from ancient DNA studies that the Sinia pestis was present about 5,000 years ago in parts of Europe. Crikey! So, 5,000 years ago and then 7th century AD in Scotland. Goodness, goodness. Gavin, is there much evidence in terms of sites or memorials or other physical remains linked to the plague in in Scotland and, and in Fife in particular? Yeah, there's a range of sites known from Scotland, and, and, and as you know, most commonly gravestones and memorials. But we'd also expect archaeological traces in proximity to plague outbreaks um, of mass burial pits and temporary accommodation camps outside towns. Um, there's one example known from Peterhead, which was erected in 1645 during a plague outbreak from which wooden huts were still standing in 
1775. Gosh, um, plague shantytowns in Scotland. Extraordinary. Gavin, I've set the scene of us recording these podcasts during the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, which has, for us in the 21st century, has caused certain movement restrictions. How feasible has it been and is it to be beginning a community research project as part of the Invocating Heritage Regeneration project at this time? Well, we were very lucky that the project had been launched before we were locked down and all the difficulties we face now. But we're also very lucky that so many resources relating to the study of the past are now online, uh, ranging from historic maps in the National Map Library, information on sites, monuments and buildings from Past Map and Canmore, genealogical information from Scotland's past, and a wide range of digitised historical documents from, for example, the National Archive Scotland. So it has been possible to support our People Making History volunteers undertake research on a wide range of topics relating to the borough of Inverkeething. We are incredibly fortunate to, to have all these resources available to us. If I can bring in our project historian Tom Turpy now. Tom, where would you look and what sort of historical sources are there for evidence of plague in Scotland generally and in, in Inverkeething specifically? Well, Emma, um, for the second pandemic, so that plague outbreak stretching from the 14th to the 17th centuries, there's two main types of records really that we can use. So we have national records, the, the records of government, so records from the Scottish Parliament and its executive arm, the Privy Council. They were very concerned with plague, as you can imagine. And by looking at their records, we can get a pretty good sense of the measures taken to try and control the disease in Scotland on that national scale. But for more specific information about particular places, uh, particularly urban areas, we, we have to access the borough council records. And these contain lots of information on, on the course of events, on me measures taken to try and mitigate the disease and the consequences for their communities. Now, unfortunately for Inverkeeding, there are no surviving records of the actions of the local borough council until um, about 50 years or so after the last outbreak of plague. And there are also no records from the local parish church um, from that period um, until much later. These often have some quite interesting references to, to plague outbreaks. So myself and the other volunteers had to be quite creative in our research. So we've been looking at those national records I mentioned. We've been looking at some materials that have survived from other parts of Western Fife. Um, and we're trying to get a sense of when Inverkeething was threatened by plague and how other similar sized communities reacted. And then further down the line, when we can get into the archives, get into the libraries again, we're going to look at some Inverkeething specific materials. We're going to look at some court records and tax materials to get a much more precise sense of the impact of the disease on the town that we are focusing on. Tom, again, contrasting the situation we're in right now, in 2020, it sometimes feels like we're bombarded by statistics and every country seems to count things ever so slightly differently. Historically, what sort of numbers were counted? What sort of statistics are available? Well, numbers for the early outbreaks are particularly difficult to be precise about. Um, no, no census materials, no no death records for most places in that period. 
but most even conservative estimates now suggest that somewhere in the region of 50 or 60 percent of the populations of of the kingdoms of England, France and the city-states in northern Italy where we have the the most precise information probably somewhere in the region of 50 or 60 percent death rate in the 14th century from those early outbreaks now later outbreaks uh, varied considerably in severity but the great plague of london in 1665 which many of our listeners will be familiar with um probably killed around a hundred thousand people in london alone in about 18 months so around eight uh, around a quarter of the population of the city just in that one outbreak that's uh, that is chilling indeed um 25 percent over 18 months gulp um and what sort of figures were collected for scotland and can we trust them well there's no reliable figures at all for the early outbreaks um, and there is a suggestion that those 14th century outbreaks were less severe in scotland partly due to the the cooler climate than other parts of europe and to the dispersed nature of the population but we're still probably talking about a third of the population at an absolute minimum dying in those early outbreaks so somewhere in the region of 100,000 people but once we get into the 16th and 17th centuries, record sources for Scotland have survived in much greater numbers. And we can be much more precise um, for certain places, for certain towns in particular. So just a, a couple examples here. Um, an outbreak in Perth in 1584-85 killed around 1,400 people. Uh, one in Stirling in the around 1607-1608 killed 500 people. And the final outbreak in the 1640s killed at least 9,000 people in Edinburgh alone. Um, so again, we're talking a quarter of the population quite regularly in these outbreaks later on. Do we know anything, Tom, about how people at the time tried to prevent plague outbreaks? Yes, well, the earliest Scottish legislation dates from 1456 and about 50 years later, Edinburgh Borough Council put out a thorough guidance on how to deal with plague outbreaks that was then circulated to other boroughs like Inverkeething. Now, prevention uh, was really about three things. It was firstly about gathering information and this could come on a national level. So the Privy Council we mentioned before would send out warnings that plague was present in particular places and, and therefore to, to be careful. And individual towns had their own information networks. They would send out messengers to try and find out information. And once this early warning system had been triggered, um, a set of very strict measures were introduced whose aim was to prevent contact with infected places and people. So this meant manning the gates and in port towns like Inverkeething, setting a strict watch on the harbour. So no entry of goods and people without clear testimonials that said that they were from places that were not infected by the disease. And almost as a sort of background measure to this, attempts were then made to clean towns of anything that was felt to increase the likelihood of an epidemic. If the measures to prevent outbreaks were unsuccessful, what sort of things do we know about how people tried to control the disease once it arrived? Well, measures, despite these, as you say, quite thorough measures, uh, very, it was rare that plague was kept at bay for any length of time. Um, so once uh, this didn't work, 
far it's moved into what you might call containment mode and this is increasingly familiar to us so this meant um, isolating a sick um, and strict punishments were enforced for anyone who didn't inform the local authorities that there was um, infection or sickness in their house. Um, in maritime towns like Inverkey, then the crews of any uh, and the goods of any suspect ships were quarantined and cleansed. And this, this could often be in quite extreme ways, sometimes involved sinking ships um, and refloating them as seawater was felt to be an effective cleanser. We've seen flurries of guidance and legislation being issued at a quite a rapid rate on, on everything about where face coverings are mandatory, advised or optional, to tenancies, to business rates, even employment. Are there historical precedents for this as well, Tom? Well, the, perhaps the key difference was that plague was such a present part of the, the, the world of, of Scottish life and, and elsewhere, of course, for 300 years that measures were generally tried and tested um, especially by the 16th and 17th century so very clear plans of action were put into place whenever plague was nearby and quarantine strict controls over people um, the movement of people and goods were key to this so something again very familiar to us now another aspect of plague prevention that also feels very familiar is legislation for dealing with crowds so with plague in the offing, markets would be closed, schools would be closed, large scale funerals would be outlawed. Things that were considered to spread the disease, like selling secondhand clothes, were also forbidden. And although, of course, that phrase that we've become very familiar with, social distancing, was not used, our medieval and early modern forebears were well aware that avoiding con close contact with people was a very important barrier to disease. Thanks, Tom. We spoke in episode one of this podcast series about Inverkeething's advantage as a centre for trade in having a safe natural harbour. And there's lots of evidence, as you've pointed out, of a lucrative maritime trade in the town through the centuries. Did this make Inverkeething actually more susceptible to disease outbreaks? Yeah, very much so, I fear. Um, I mean, Inver Keedon was at the centre of one of the most internationally connected parts of Scotland in this period. Um, it had a busy harbour of its own, as we've seen. It's very close to, to Leith, the most um, uh, important port in Scotland for much of the, the later Middle Ages. And it was also, as well as these maritime connections, on several quite important roads going through Fife. So the Pilgrim Roads, which would have been busy... Um, with pilgrims and other travellers. So Inverkeithing was far from remote and would have been very susceptible to plague outbreaks. Thanks, Tom. A great reminder of Inverkeithing's royal borough status, trading and taxes that contributed to its status, prosperity and fine architecture that remains to the present day, but also the perils that that represented. Tom, very briefly, um, returning to the plague outbreaks again historically and the rather bleak economic impacts we're being reminded of in the news currently, does this also have historical precedent? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the, the major outbreaks in the 14th century combined with a set of other problems in that period, had political problems, environmental problems, to cause a sort of long-term economic slump which was felt across Europe um, in the 14th and 15th centuries. Um, 
we don't just see this drop in population which is, has economic impacts of course but plague outbreaks and the measures taken to control plague um, could also be very disruptive to trade and commerce which again is something that has a very clear resonance today. If people listening to this podcast would like to find out more um, about plague and medieval Scotland and Inverkeeling where should they start Tom? Well, uh, back in 2015-16 there was a really interesting exhibition on plague in Scotland at the National Library of Scotland and the online materials that went with the exhibition are still accessible. So if you were to search for National Library of Scotland and Plague, you would access their materials. That's a really good starting place. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Gavin and Tom, for sharing your extensive knowledge and for the Inverkeeling perspective on some uncanny historical parallels to our current situation. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for listening to the Inverkeething Heritage Regeneration podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the project in Inverkeething or some of the other things we do at Fife Historic Buildings Trust, check out our website at www.fifehistoricbuildings.org.uk. You can use the website to get in touch. If you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to cover, if you have questions for our guests or have views on these podcasts, we'd love to hear from you. Fife Historic Buildings Trust delivers the Inverkeething Heritage Regeneration Project in partnership with Fife Council. Thanks for listening today and thanks too to the project funders, Historic Environment Scotland and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. <laughs>